welcome to The Digital Couch, a podcast by Value First, featuring global thinkers and their stories. Over to your host now. Hi, my name is Imanshu and I have Shwadi with me. We're hosting uh, Kai Dactam today. Hi, Kai is Head of Net Revenue Management at Okra Group. Earlier, Kai held roles at Findus Word, Lani University, and Massive Entertainment. Welcome to the Digital Couch, Kai. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure is completely ours. And you're a doctor. I'd, uh, I'd love to get started with your doctoral thesis, actually, and try to touch on something that I myself have faced being a marketing person at this organization. And for me, one of the biggest challenges is that brand or the entire concept of brand equity can never be directly seen as money in the bank, right? There's already always this question that comes on the KPI, the ROI, etc. How do you, as a marketing leader, a brand management student, and more, show the worth as a marketing owner and move forward? Yeah, uh, first of all, that's a really good question, uh, Shuri, and a very good input because that's always the trick. How can we show the worth of the brand? Uh, so let's just go back to the basics and really try to understand what is branding? What is brand equity? And to me, branding is a lot about identity, right? Who are you? What do you stand for? What are your core values? What do you want to achieve and how are you going to do it? So at a first glance, identity may sound simple, you know, uh, identity is who I am uh, or what we are as a company. But who I am is actually not that easily defined because there's so many things that influence your identity and who, who we are. You know, part of it is how, how, who do we want to be? How do we perceive ourselves? What do we do? What do we think? And how do others perceive us? And how do others, how do we want others to perceive ourselves as well? So there are a lot of factors that influence the identity part. Uh, but a good brand has clearly defined and answered all of these questions. They know who they are, what they represent, what they stand for, and then how well the brand execute this can be seen as brand equity, because that is the strength of the brand. So not everything is a brand, but everything can be branded. So you can brand a person, a product, a service, an organization, a city, a charity, a country. Anything can be branded and packaged in a way to really represent all of this, uh, what you stand for, what you want to achieve, etc. So branding is a lot about defining what it represents and want to do, and then find the right users that believe in these values and, and you know, build your loyalty and, and user base. And even though brand equity is an intangible asset, you can't touch it, you can't show it as money in the bank, it is the closest thing and one of the strongest measures we have of the strength of the brand. There are many different uh, measures related to brand equity, but I would say that price premium and price elasticity is the strongest measure of brand equity. And that is basically how much can you charge for your brand using price premium versus your competition before you start losing out to your uh, competition. So in other words, how much are consumers willing to pay for your brand before they start switching to someone else? So even though brand equity cannot be seen as money in the bank, it is quite closely related to the financial and, and you know, the price strength of your brand. 
Yeah. Uh, because having a superior brand equity and price premium versus competition uh, is a strong enabler to continuous long-term growth for your business. That makes a lot of sense, but that's that's one side of the debate, but the other side is, and that's something that, again, I, I face, right? Like calculating ROI of some things that can't be calculated. So let's say public relations, right? That's number one. Another thing could be you're a B2C brand, you're doing a music concert and people say, okay, 1000 people came, they had a jolly good time. What about the ROI? So how, how, how do you tackle that? Or how do you suggest that listeners who are wanting to create a career in marketing should be looking at that? Yeah, and it is tricky, uh, like you said, because we cannot find the sole driver of one cause. For example, the marketing, how many people came to the concert because of the marketing and how many would have come anyway? So how, how do we discount that? Uh, a normal question we have in the FMCG business is, you know, TV marketing. Um, is it worth spending millions in TV ads? Um, how do we correlate that to the actual sales in the stores? And it's not easy at all to track because we, we can't find the sole reason why a consumer is doing what they're doing. Um, but the closest thing we can get at it is to have some kind of look at uh, return on investment because profitability is something every company is struggling with. Most people and companies want to improve their profitability in order to grow long-term. Uh, and like I said before, a strong brand equity is a key enabler to achieve this. It's not the only way, but it, it sure helps you to link the profitability parts. And also calculating the ROI and using the closest thing you can to get to it is important to really understand your performance. Um, how are we doing? What investments are good? What, what are not so good? What pays off? What is working? And it's really important to try and understand uh, why things are the way they are, what's the impact um, in order to prioritize and optimize your business. And this also brings to a little question or a pondering, right? I mean, the fact that our top-of-mind recall is so important, and that's where the question of ROI comes in, and that's something that can't be calculated. Like, if you have some brand that you think about in your head, but maybe you can't afford it right now, or maybe there are other challenges... It's still ROI in a way, but it just can't be seen in any way, right? Yeah. And I would say this is a million-dollar question that a lot of you know media and agencies are looking to. How can we really 100% track ROI and get the measure of, of the impact of uh, doing uh, branding and marketing, etc.? And so far, I haven't been able to, to see anyone that has been able to link it because there are so many medias out there, you use social media, billboards, walking in town, uh, TV ads, radio ads, whatever. You know, How do we know that one is the one that affected our purchasing decision and not the other one? Uh, so it's really hard to, to do that. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, and how do you do that in, in, in your own company? Yeah. So in my own company, for example, it's a little bit easier because I'm in FMCG. So we sell our products in the store, right? Yeah. And Tori, I really like what you talked about earlier as well, because you talked about the mental availability, the top of mind. If the consumers go into the store, they need to think of the brand and then they remember it and then they buy it, right? Uh, so it's important to have that aspect as well, the mental availability to be a brand that is a top of mind so consumers are reminded to, to buy the brand. Um, but it's equally important, at, le at least in FMCG, 
uh, fast-moving consumer goods, the physical availability is also equally important. Because if I go into the store, I think of the brand, but I can't find it. Well, that's not going to deliver any sales, right? Um, but the way I tra track ROI is it's quite simple because we are spending investments to do promotions in the store. So let's say we have a product and we have a 20% discount and then we have fixed costs, we have variable costs linked to this promotion. And then we basically track how much did we sell, how much do we normally sell, and then we can assess the ROI. And by doing so, we understand, okay, this promotion was really good when we did 20%. When we did 10%, that did not work at all. And then slowly you start to see how things are working. And that's why I say it's important to track your performance because uh, it gives you support. You slowly build up the evidence uh, of what is working and slowly you can start to optimize your business. You know what to prioritize and you can make small changes that will likely have a big outcome. Very, very well with you on this. But you said, right, about FMCG, how the ball game is very different. But the last one year we we faced the last two years actually now we faced this pandemic and our lives changed right and fmcg which has majorly been you know brick and mortar setup where in a store you make a purchase and then you experience it even an industry like that had to change overnight so would you want to talk a bit more a bit about that that journey of covid yeah definitely it's quite interesting as well because uh COVID, like 2019 was actually a really good year for most retailers because a lot of people want to stockpile and buy a lot, which means that this year when the restrictions are recent, they have tough targets to, um, to, so, to, to so the year-on-year -year performance is going to be tough because people bought so much in 29, uh, 2020, they're not buying as much in 2021 because now they can uh, actually go into store and, and people are not stockpiling in the same way anymore. But I would say that people have been able, have been forced to adapt and, and find you know e-commerce solutions, pre-packaged uh, baskets, etc. Um, so it is a challenge, but with every challenge comes opportunities, and it's about finding um, basically the most problems. If you can solve the biggest problems, that's your biggest upside and your biggest opportunities. And also speaking about KPIs and what to track and what not to track, I would say that. Generally speaking, not necessarily linked to COVID, but generally speaking, most companies want to achieve everything, right? They want to have higher sales, higher profitability, new customers, uh, more consumers, more market shares, uh, higher margins, uh, lower costs, better products. They want to do everything. But the thing is, everything comes at a cost. There's a trade-off for everything. So, so I would say that... Depending on your company and where you are, you need to assess your commercial strategy. What's most important for you? What is your number one priority? And then uh, adapt your KPIs to that commercial strategy because you can't win them all. Got it. So uh, after spending time on your PhD, uh, you moved to many different roles and your focus has been uh, net revenue management, right? That's a new keyword. It's a buzz now. Why do you think it's so important in these years and what does that role entail for you? Yeah, uh, and first of all, I would say it's just, uh, I mean, net revenue management might be seen as a buzzword, um, yeah. but actually it's linked to everything we've talked about so far. And, and it's not something new, actually. Uh, but basically, net revenue management is about value creation. It's okay. about sustainable long-term growth and focusing on the top line, the revenue, 
but also the bottom line, the net part of the name, net revenue. Uh, so you, you want to grow, but you want to grow sustainable because you need to make some profit as well because yeah. it's very costly to drive a successful brand. You need to innovate, you need to drive marketing, you need to recruit uh, the best employees, you need to have the right product. It's a costly business. That's why you need to have profit. You need to make, be able to make money as well. So in FMCG then, um, net revenue management is all about uh, value creation, right? What, like I said, but how do you do that? And it, in FMCG, it's about providing the right product at the right place with the right promotions at the right price for the right user. And that is not something new. That's something everyone has been doing for a long time. So even if they don't label this as net revenue management, it's been linked to a lot of people's everyday business operations. And for a lot of marketing people, they probably recognize these as the four Ps, the culture's four Ps, product, place, promo, price. Yeah. Uh, so NRM is really optimizing and executing these four Ps. And the difference is that, and the fundamentals of NRM is that it's a structured, fact-based approach to find these value opportunities. So you're not going with gut feeling and what you're feeling. You're actually looking at, okay, sales performance, historical data to see what does it show. That makes sense. And uh, and how do you do it uh, in your own job with your product? How's that doing with COVID? Has it uh, have the sales gone up this year? Yeah, and I would say uh, Orkla has more than hundred brands. We have a lot of different products, so so of course it varies from the category and the products. But overall, we are doing a, a good performance. And I would say that um, the guidelines I normally use, I look at three things. Uh, depending on, regardless of what category or segment I'm in. The first thing I look at is always understand your competition. What is happening? Why is it happening? Who's winning? Who's losing? So understand your market, understand your competition. The second thing you need to do is assess your ability to win. Can you beat the competition? Is it worth entering the segments? Um, what's in it for me? Can we outperform the competition? And the last criteria is to evaluate the size of the price. Is the market attractive enough to enter this? Because there are so many things you can do. So one of the things NRM helps you with is really prioritize. If I had choose between 10 different products, okay, which one is the golden uh, bestseller? Well, then I assess uh, these three things and then I can prioritize them. And obviously, uh, having done PhD and then going into the corporate world, so being in the ed education space, you also taught for a bit. What was the difference? And uh, yeah, and, and and how did you take it up? Like uh, the new challenge. Yeah, of, I would yeah. say uh, interesting question because uh, one of the things that kind of um, distinguishes uh, the two areas is that you know in academia in the university world the main purpose is to further the knowledge and academia, the, the theory of things, understand what is happening in the world and why. So it's more about truth seeking and understanding and, and the knowledge. But in business, that's not how it works. We don't just want to know why things are happening. We want to be in the forefront. We actually want to grow our business. Uh, so it's about profit versus knowledge in a way. Um, so that has been one of the biggest differences. But I would say that uh, I was educating in the university and teaching. And, and, you know, a lot of students ask me, okay, how, 
based on the education, how much did you use in practice? Yeah. And, and actually, you're not looking at the marketing framework, the marketing models. You're not looking at the textbook approach. And that's not how it works in, in reality because it's more fast. Uh, you have to deal with what's happening and it's more management uh, and, have, and you have many different um, daily things that will occupy your mind. But the one thing that has been with me the whole time is the whole fact-based approach. So whatever I say, I don't make things up. I don't, I don't guess. I don't uh, uh, base it on gut feeling. I, I always base it on some kind of facts. Exactly. So, in, for example, in academia, it's based on the literature, on academic papers, on the text. But you're referring to someone else. So, so to to, to basically strengthen your case and your arguments. Because why should people believe you? Why why should they trust me? So whatever evidence you have to back it up is good, right? And especially as a PhD, when you're writing a doctoral thesis, you need to have scientific evidence and empirical data to show you this is what the results show. And these are the findings I have based on these results. Uh, and that has helped me a lot in the business because now when I present to executive management or when a brand manager wants to launch a new product and they're thinking, oh, should we launch this product or that product? Well, then I can use the whole fact-based approach and look, okay, what do we know? And then use it so I don't just, I think consumers will like A more than B. I don't know why, but I think so. Now I can show, okay, looking at the target group and the age between here, these are the preferences and these are the, you know, the needs that we're meeting. So, so it's basically using uh, uh, a data-driven approaches. You, you, exactly. you follow your decisions on data. Exactly. So instead of referring to different papers, I refer to actual sales data, actual KPIs, actual metrics, uh, because most companies now have more and more data. We know so much about consumers. We're selling product. We have the historical back performance in the internal data. A lot of companies are selling market data so we can get how much consumers are spending in the store. A lot of retailers have these loyalty cards. So they have, you know, really detailed KPIs of who is buying, when they're buying, how much do they spend, when do they spend, what products they are. And we can get access to these databases and then we can learn a lot about uh, our consumers and that can help you build your case. So how do you do it when you're launching a new product? Because when it's a new product, uh, you don't have data about the product per se. So how, so what assumptions do you make when you launch a new product? Yeah, so it depends. Normally we're launching a, a product in an existing category, right? So there's already category information. Then I will look at, okay, what's driving the category? Who's What brand is winning? What segment is winning? Is it big pack, small pack? Is it a specific uh, sub-segment, a product characteristic? Or is it the price level? How price sensitive are the consumers, etc. So there are many different ways you can look at it. Um, but I will look at the product first, so the product attributes. I will look at the distribution. Is it hypermarkets, normal markets, e-commerce, and then adapt it to that? You can look at the price, you can look at the competition. So there's a lot of things you can learn, even though you haven't launched a product. You can find similar products or look at the same category to give you some kind of indications. Okay, that makes sense. I think uh, Shori had a surprise rapid fire round for you. So we should do that. And uh, Shori, any other question before that, please go ahead. No, so how the rapid fire works is, I mean, I have a set of some straightforward questions which you Got to answer without thinking much. Yeah. And so here they go. Uh, what, may, what, what motivates you to get out of your bed every morning? 
Um, <laughs> well, uh, I have a two and a half year old son, and he's the one that normally wakes me up. So uh, he needs food, so he wakes me up, and uh, yeah, I don't get to decide anymore. Super. The favorite part about your current job? About my what? The favorite part about your current job? About my, oh, I, I love problem solving. Uh, to be able to improve things and do the whole diagnosis. Okay, what is happening? Why do you know a, a diagnostic to understand that and solve problems to really improve something? So it doesn't matter if it's a product, a company, a category. Just doing this, the whole data approach is really fun. Nice. And what are you listening or reading to these days? Uh, right now, I'm listening to a lot of uh, audio books. Um, Super. And my last question is the best business advice you've ever got. Ooh, the best business advice I've ever gotten is, uh, well, of course, it's important to uh, follow your dreams and your passion, etc. But I think uh, it's important as well to be a realistic. So actually just using those free guidelines I mentioned earlier was, you know, look at the competition. What's happening? Do you want to enter that? Can you beat them? So, so is it worth your effort? And, and the third one would be the size of the price. Um, is it really worth entering this area? So you just following these three guidelines uh, will really help your business and any business really understand what's happening in the competition. Can you beat them? And is it worth entering? Gut or data, what would you choose and why? <laughs> well, I would have to say uh, data. Uh, well, actually, it's a hybrid because gut feeling and experience is highly valuable. But to have data to support your gut feelings and experience is even better. Um, so, so you have to go uh, with both in this case. And just to give you an example of that, I had a client once who um, we didn't own. We, we were selling their products and brands. Um, so we didn't own the brand, but we were selling and their products and uh, one year we didn't sell as much we didn't grow in line with their expectations so they said guys you're not performing uh, you need, need to do something different um, you need to increase our portfolio you need to add more of our new products because new products are what are going to attract new consumers to the category uh, so we did that we added a lot of new products uh, but the thing is we still lost market shares we didn't increase uh, so then I started to analyze and dig into this and, and look at the data and NRM analysis to understand what happened. And it turned out that these new products were more of a niche product. So um, consumers bought them, but not as frequent as the best sellers and the core products. But because we started doing promotions on the new products instead of the core products, uh, it diluted the business even more. So we kept losing market shares. So it wasn't until I did the data approach to understand that actually the core products are the ones we should focus on. And it wasn't until then that we managed to turn around. And to just give an example, uh, it would be like Coca-Cola. It's not going to be Coca-Cola lemon or vanilla or raspberry that's going to increase the market drastically. It is the core Coca-Cola that is going to attract more consumers and grow the category. So, so using data to understand your Best sellers really understand your portfolio. Who, what are the core products in your offering is really uh, valuable. Super. Thank you so much, Kai. This is short, sweet, and very enlightening for both of us. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We hope you found it useful. 
do write to us at the digital couch at vfirst.com for any suggestions. To know more about Value First, visit www.vfirst.com. See you in our next episode. Till then, keep spreading joy.